welcome everybody to another edition of Linking the Travel Industry, where we discuss travel industry news you are talking about on LinkedIn. Before we continue, just a quick bit of housekeeping. We do record the session because we make it available as a podcast afterwards, which you can find at businesstravel360.com, and we'll tell you more about that towards the end of the session. We absolutely welcome audience participation. Uh, after all, we are here to link the travel industry. So if you have a comment on any of the stories we discuss here today, please raise your hand. We'll get you on stage, and you can add your thoughts on that story. So with that out of the way, my name is Rian, and I'm one of your hosts today. I am the CEO of Agentivity, where we make it our mission to elevate the service ability of travel management companies through the effective use of data. And I am Anne. I'm a consultant in the travel and airline industry. Happy to help you with anything related to retailing, NDC, one order and distribution. I'm also working as an instructor with both IATA and Aeroclass. My name is Ash, and I'm the host of a weekly business travel podcast called What's Up in Business Travel, where we give you only the important updates in business travel in under 15 minutes. Additionally, I'm the vice president at Traxo, and this is Linking the Travel Industry. So thank you for those joining us today. We really appreciate it. Some familiar faces and some new ones. Alex, nice to see you and a few others. So thank you uh, for giving us your time. The format of this discussion evolves around a post I do on a Friday where we gather together uh, relevant travel industry stories and then we discuss them on here a bit further. And we're going to kick off with the big news of the week last week that Travelport acquires a company called Deem. And to tell us more about that, we are joined by Kyle Moore from Travelport. So Kyle, thank you for giving us your time. If you've been, and then tell us a bit about uh, this acquisition and why it's important. Thanks for the opportunity to join. So I've been with Travelport for about three years and then had the opportunity as part of that to be involved with the process of Travelport and Deem coming together. You know, when that opportunity presented itself some months ago, it was one of those things where it made a ton of sense for a variety of reasons. We didn't have a tool and it's been something that we've been, been comfortable with as a company. However, um, this was an opportunity to go in and bring into the family um, a tool that had a, a really great marketplace presence from the start. Frankly, there aren't many those available in, in the world today. And so, you know, Dean comes with a great reputation in the marketplace. Uh, the guys are going doing some market landscaping, you know, just kind of asking some players in the marketplace what they thought of the, the various corporate booking tools out there. The most consistent feedback um, that we got around Dean centered in a couple of places. So first, that they had the best kind of modern tool for retailing and corporate travel that was available out there, the easiest to use. And that all fit really, really well with the direction we have been headed as a company around around Travelport Plus. In fact, it was letter perfect from the standpoint of, of being an exact tailor-made fit for what we would have been looking for from a tool perspective. And the other bit that was just, again, incredibly consistent with feedback was their kind of customer responsiveness, their marketplace response, which was frankly what we heard different from perhaps other players in the marketplace. And so this was just a really cool opportunity for us to go in and bring into the, into the Travelport family a, a tool that was just a really neat and tidy fit with where we were going philosophically. And then also, the other bit that was frankly very important is that it allows us to address some opportunities of presenting themselves in the marketplace around how do we burgeon the Travelport Plus platform, particularly as we're starting that upgrade process in North America for TMCs. How can we make it easier for them um, to go to the Travelport Plus platform and having a, a, a Dean tool that is working seamlessly with the Travelport Plus platform, creating an opportunity for us to, to make that process 
process easier. We absolutely intend for Deem to continue to be a GDS agnostic, multi-GDS solution. And we think it, you know, it actually does a, an excellent job. And this is what we've heard about from customers that we've gone and talked to since the acquisition that in many cases are not on Travelport platform. Clearly, um, having it work you know, seamlessly with Travelport Plus is a key around that. Quick question for you. So one of the things I think that is really important here is the fact that Travelport as a GDS does not have a corporate booking tool today to offer in the marketplace. And of course, that's part of the play here. But the other part is also to integrate the product into the Travelport platform. In the past, Deem has always been a very pro-saver product. Do you intend to change that? You know, ask great question. You know, we fully intend to remain the best product in the marketplace on top of the Saber GDS as well. I wouldn't characterize it as pro Saber. There have been opportunities for it to improve across any GDS platform. Clearly, that had been true for Travelport platforms going, you know, going back. This does create an opportunity to kind of bring to market more quickly its integration with Travelport Plus. And that is something that we absolutely will do with this. We believe we will have it tightly integrated with Travelport Plus, which it has not been integrated into, to be clear, inside of just a few months. That's the timeline we're working toward. We bought an established tool that has a a great reputation and is used by a lot of blue chip companies all all across multiple verticals. I think that makes a a clear difference versus where we may have been in the past. I saw that 80% of Travelport users, uh, it's stated in the press release, actually already use Deem. I mean, that's that's impressive and obviously as part of the logistics why you have acquired it, right? But I'm also curious as to, on a couple of things, you say that it's a, a retailing platform and it would be great if you can talk a bit to, you know, their capabilities of retailing because I think that's something that is critical to the success of TMCs and travel agents in general. And also some of the NDC progress, because, I mean, we hear a lot about the challenges in in the North American market with the NDC readiness. So that's actually a couple of questions for you there. From a retailing perspective, and Ann, you know this as well or better than me, fundamentally, that is just as important in corporate travel as it is in leisure travel. That means matching right consumer with right product. Um, In this case, it just happens to be a business traveler um, as the consumer. And so what Deem has done, what we think better than most, and frankly, that's what we hear from, from customers as well, is they've got the right set of tooling to make that shopping for easier, better, faster, more intuitive, matching that traveler to the right product. They've got the right set of tools to put product on the shelf in the right place. And then they've got the right tools also to make sure that stuff gets serviced end to end better than perhaps other, you know, other tools that may be available in the marketplace, which, which gets to, and is in kind of a neat transition to your question around NDC. One place where, you know, the industry has somewhat struggled around NDC and the integration of that content has been around servicing. And that is a place where Travelport broadly has invested a lot of time and energy over the course of the the last couple of years. The outcome from that, at least from what we hear from customers, is is that we've done really good work around that. This created an opportunity for us to, to make sure we are doing a really excellent job of streamlining an agent's ability to service and support that NDC content, regardless of where that traveler first created that booking. If they have made that that initial reservation, which happens to include NDC content via their online booking tool. If that content doesn't come from the GDS, the agent's ability to service and support that in an easy fashion inside their their travel agent point of sale is frankly quite difficult. 
So I take it that you sort of leave the DNR-centric world behind, right? And you offer now a capability of being able to service or integrate any type of content. Yeah, 100%. Any comment I have is that it, it sounds to me like you guys are well prepared for the American Airlines production and uh, you know whatever you offer your customers, corporate customers, it looks, it sounds to me like that AA content is well covered. So well done on that and getting the timing right on that. Uh, it all fell into place quite nicely. Absolutely, Ria. So from my side, Carl, thank you very much for joining us and giving us your time today. We, we thank you for that and um, great story. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. My first three stories were all about acquisition. So the next story was about travel counselors acquiring holiday. Please, not a lot to talk about there. It's just interesting. It's the first time in 30-year history that they made such an acquisition. Uh, travel counselors, for those who don't know, um, have mostly home-based working travel experts and sort of franchise-type setup, etc. Um, they've done very well, uh, profit-wise, etc. And this is a good move for them to expand their business quite quickly. I don't know whether Anne or Ash have a, have a comment on that. The same comment, really, that it was the first time in 30 years. Yes, so that was really yeah. interesting. You know, I'm all for uh, consolidation and acquisitions. We need yep. to see more of that. Um, Ash, did the story reach your side of the world at all? As I say, it only reaches the side of the world when we see it on your post. <laughs> Thank you for sharing with us. Speaking of corporate and acquisitions, so Cvent, this is a big deal, right? There's a big number here. Blackstone acquired uh, meeting tech specialist Cvent for $4.6 billion. I think it's a bit more than... Uh, I would have expected. Ash, what are your thoughts on this one? I think this is purely a, a stock play. And I think that uh, Cvent, obviously pre-pandemic, was really looking for a big payout for all their work and effort throughout the years. And so a lot of the people who've been there since the beginning, including the CEO and a lot of the key leadership, I think they were really looking for a nice stock play. But then, of course, the pandemic happened. It dropped everybody's market. And now this is a great way for them to get out with their position being a little bit better than what it was, obviously, in the last couple of years. So for me, I look at this just simply as people wanting to cash out. Interesting. Any thoughts on this one, Anne? No, I think Ash has said it all. Very, very interesting um, amount. Wow, that really caught my eye. The next one is about Amex, American Express Global Business Travel. They posted some really good results. Uh, it showed that they were well up from 2021 by 143%, and they are very optimistic about a strong 2023. So a lot of this was obviously before some of the news about banks, etc. came out. But very optimistic outlook there. And did you see that post? Yes, I did. And of course, very happy to see that. A hundred years ago, I used to work for Amex, so always close to my heart. And the optimism, although I must say that, of course, now with banks and Credit Suisse and, um, yeah, not so much optimism over the weekend, but oh well. Ash, any comments on Amex's positive outlook? Well, actually, I don't think that this is really a great number at all. I know a lot of people are looking at the 143% and they feel like, oh, this is great. But when you look at this as it relates to the market itself, you know, the market in 2022 recovered over 200% year over year from the previous year. So, you know, when you look at numbers like 211% and then you match that up against 143, that shows you that one third of the market is missing. Hence my comments that I've been talking about, which is that business travel is down from a numbers perspective by at least one third. One third of people are just not traveling for business travel. So I think American Express's number is on par with business travel, but not mm -hmm. in par with travel overall. So it's good, but it's not great. Nothing to be writing home about. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> 
what is worth writing home about is the money is being spent in Saudi Arabia, right? I mean, this this is really weird for me that I can't believe we're only talking about Riyadh Air this week. But, uh, you know, it feels to me like it's been in the news for quite some time. But, yeah, the official announcements about Riyadh Air and the fact that Tony Douglas, who we reported on, was reported on that he left. But he seems to be back. So maybe they've smoothed over their differences there. And uh, it's a, the official announcement is out and they placed a huge order as well. So um, there was a very nice post by Shashank about what he thinks the airline might get up to and what might they do. But uh, yeah, that's all out in the news and it's all official. So uh, exciting times ahead, Ash. Yeah, I was just wondering, why did we report that story? Was that real or did we just have a fake news story happening? We might have had a fake news story. We might have had some ah. sort of, uh, negative there, but it wasn't from us, really. I mean, we were both from what we saw <laughs> online. So, uh, so there you go. Yeah. No, it's all good. It's all good. So yeah, I mean, th- this is good and looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with this. I think that you have uh, a lot of money and you have a lot of experience coming together. So uh, good luck to Riyadh Air and let's see how it works out. Yes, I'm, I'm kind of keen to keep a close eye on what is the distribution strategy going to be, right, Anne? Yes, that's something that is definitely going to be interesting to keep a close eye on. But but again, I mean, that's that's more money than, you know, most airlines <laughs> in the world can sort of fathom, right? So it's too much money for it to fail. It just cannot fail, right? So maybe it doesn't really matter what distribution strategy they, they will have. I never thought I would hear Anne say those yes. words. But here we <laughs> Exactly. That's exactly my thoughts. I see we had Jonathan Sutter there from JD Power. Thanks for joining us, Jonathan. Nice to see you. If you have a quick comment on what we just talked about, the previous story or the story? Yeah, I, I just have a question. So um, the, the comment about business travel uh, trends and bookings going forward and then looking back based on earnings, what do you think the breakout about the breakout versus SMEs versus large corporate? So Ash, your comment was, I think, you know, just looking at the numbers with maybe some skepticism might end. I don't want to read into it. What do you think SMEs versus large corporates? I think SMEs are doing much better than large corporates. I think large corporates have a lot of walls that they have to get over and a lot of issues when it comes to business travel. And some of it has to do with their own internal budgetary limitations coming back from the pandemic. But I think the SMEs have a lot more freedom as it relates to being able to book travel. So I think SMEs are definitely on a higher path than the uh, traditional corporates. I mean, there's some discussion about, and one of the executives, I won't call out the company, but opined last year in one of the conference calls about about unmanaged travel and what's happening with some of the unmanaged, one of the, I think, complexities of looking at pre-COVID and post-COVID potentially is that some of that unmanaged travel, to the extent it was unmanaged and caught up, you know, an SME and caught up in leisure, you don't know exactly how to compare the numbers. Do you have any thoughts from your perspective? Does anyone else on the panel have any thoughts about when we're talking about looking back and we're comparing the numbers now versus a couple of years ago, given everything that's changed with COVID and you have some of that unmanaged travel with maybe different travel rules, you know, an SME may have completely different travel rules post-COVID than pre-COVID. How, do, how, in your opinion, can we look at those numbers and compare it pre-COVID when sort of the world may have dramatically changed for at least some of the SMEs in terms of corporate travel policies and SMEs, you know, based on the opinion you just espoused, seem to be managing this, just working in a very different environment than maybe some of the large corporates. If I understand your question is about, is, is anything going to change in the way smaller SMEs are booking travel? But part of the difficulty of looking back and comparing numbers is that, especially when we're looking back COVID, is that, you know, travel rules have, many companies have changed dramatically. Yep. And I think that unmanaged travel in the SME space may have become managed 
managed or maybe caught up in leisure. So, so the question, I guess, is what, are, what do you think about making those comparisons? Is that part of what you were thinking when you were comparing the 140 to the 200 number? Or um, is, that, is that to have a role to play in it? From my side, I think that those are the challenges of the industry, right? How do you define and what's the way you manage it and how do you measure it all? So I think that those challenges continue to exist. I don't think they change. I'm just simply looking at American Express number and comparing against ARC growth. And I see that there is a limitation there from American Express, but that fits into the model of what happened with business travel overall, where you do see a decrease in business travel. And of course, to your point, some of it does get matched up in leisure and some of the tendencies of some of the travelers have changed quite a bit from how they book travels. I mean, we're in that situation, right, as an industry, and those are the things we have to sort through. I think there is definitely some change. If you look at the change that Amex recently did, right, American Express Business Global Travel, where they've actually split the business up and they've appointed Jason Gill as head of global SME, it should tell you that there's a focus specifically on that sector quite strongly. And um, it should tell you that they're taking that very seriously and they expect business from that side of the market, which they might, have, might not have gotten before. So uh, that should be a good indication and, and hopefully it helps you answer your question. Thanks for your thoughts. The next one in my list of stories was about client travel management in Scotland, um, striking an NDC content deal with Lufthansa. Um, and these sort of things are, are good for us to hear about, right? The agents taking matters into their hands and um, looking after their own requirements from a content perspective. Well, absolutely. I, I also have a lot of questions because, I mean, the article didn't really tell us that much. You, you do wonder really why does it take so long? That they've been waiting for a long time. I also wanted, you know, to ask them about the integration. But yes, yeah. yes, of course. I think this is great. I mean, they obviously are using their own platform. I think they call it Consort. So they're mm-hmm. they're looking at adding uh, not just Lufthansa but others as well. So this is a step in the right direction where they own the process and therefore they can control the results. <laughs> Um, the next story was uh, very interesting. This was about Emirates advertising a certain type of business class product in New Zealand. But then in most cases, when people were flying on that route, it was an older aircraft and they didn't quite get the product as advertised. So one of the travelers took them to court and won and got a payout. And um, I can imagine that their advertising has been slightly updated in that market. But uh, have you ever heard of something like this happening before, Ash? Yeah, this has actually happened to me a number of times. I never thought of taking anybody to court. But this is a example of what happens when you try to sell a product back up and say, this is business class, but then your aircraft doesn't match the actual product. I mean, I've had scenarios where I think you're going to be in a 777. And of course, the business class product in 777 is very different than one from a 757. Absolutely. And it's not too dissimilar to something that happened to you with the Hilton, right? But interesting. <laughs> No, well, that was, I was actually going to say that I've, I've experienced on Singapore Airlines that they proactively have messaged me and said, you know, this is not uh, working on this aircraft. We've had an aircraft change. And, and that, of course, is wonderful to see when airlines are capable of doing that. We know how they notoriously are not very yeah. capable of messaging you. It's so common with the Qatar Airways that people who fly with them and get, you know, change out of the queue suite to a different product, they call that there's a term for it. They say they've been Qatared. But in the defense of Qatar Airways, they get proactively, it's messages that get proactively sent out. And this is not something yeah. that Emirates did here. They basically advertise a product provided in all the products. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and false advertising, I totally agree. I mean, it's yes. just so bad and it's just got to stop. It's unacceptable because it is that we, we talk about the trust so many times yeah. of me as a customer trusting the airline and the airline yeah. brand. You know, it's your brand. It's very valuable. 
regular traveler does not have the ability to figure all this out. I mean, there is so much stuff to know. And of course, we as industry veterans, sometimes we assume that the regular traveler knows all these things. But, you know, what's the difference between a 777 and a 757? How many business class seats, the rows, the aisles? I mean, it just makes your head explode when you think about it as somebody who actually knows a lot about these things. But then you take a regular consumer and it's really hard for them to see the differences. I mean, no one even knows it's a Boeing versus Airbus or what kind of configuration it is. So when they get on the plane and not what they expected. Of course, there's a huge disappointment there. And then I added something new to my list last week, which was a trivia question. Ash, do you know the answer to my question? I asked which airline has the most female pilots. I actually knew the answer. Then I Googled it because I just couldn't help myself because I wanted to verify. But I saw an article a while ago that said something to this point. So I thought I I knew the answer and I was right. So when you Googled it, did it tell you that it was Indigo or did it argue that it was Air India? No, it said it was Air India. Uh Aha. You see, this is is the interesting part. The first interesting fact is that India as a country definitely has the most female pilots. That was fascinating to me to hear. So well done, India. And then, yeah, it's debatable. One article said that Indigo had 680. Another one said that uh, India had more. It doesn't really matter because I just think it's phenomenal. The stats that I use is 12.6% for Air Mm -hmm. India of female pilots. Yeah, that might be what the conflict is because physical number of versus percentage of might be very different, right? But well done to both of those airlines for having such a high one. Well done. Right, Anne? Yes, it is indeed. I'm a member of Women in Aviation International and something that we address very frequently and talk about. And the general, you know, global average is not very good. It's around 7% or something like that, 6%. That's right. Okay, brilliant. And that brings me to my whole list. I've got a few extra stories, one of them being... um, <laughs> You're getting so good at this. Like you just oh, cue that yes. sucker up so perfectly. Okay, so I'm <laughs> but um, this is weird. This story from Alaska Airlines—they're going to repaint one of their planes because it needs a paint job because it's been like that for many, many years. But apparently, it's got a salmon on it, and people are up in arms about it. They are petitioning to them to keep the salmon. Did you see the story, Ash? I believe I've seen this plane before where a lot of Alaska people, when they fly this particular plane, they get really excited and they post pictures of it. So I think it's got a little bit of a following just, from that perspective. Just, just admit it, Ash. You're one of those and your signature is on that petition for sure. And have you seen like, that? You're going to tell us you've flown on that plane. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, I've never flown on the plane, but of course I know Gart Norton at Alaska yes. Airlines. So of course I, I do know about the salmon plane. I love it. It's, it's please protect and keep. <laughs> please protect the salmon. You should like Frontier because Frontier does a lot of animals on their planes too. Good. Yeah, they do bears. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, let's hope they save the salmon, right? <laughs> I just want to give again a shout out to those in the audience who are listening in and staying with us. Thank you very much for giving us your time. Ash, I'm sure you have an extra story. And uh, without even thinking about it, I'm just going to do this. Space News. Oh, boy. Here we go. I like the drums. We should keep the drums rolling for a little bit longer next time. So we have two space news stories this week. The first one comes from Europe. In this story, Virgin Orbit has paused its operations and furloughed its staff for at least a week. So don't worry too much. It's only a week because it's dealing with a lot of financial issues. And this was reported by CNBC. In a statement last week, the company said it was pausing and furloughing its staff. It said it needs to kind of sit back and figure it out because they're dealing with a lot of cash flow issues and that the employees should just wait and expect an update in about a week. What do you guys think about that? Doesn't sound too good, if you have to ask me. It sounds like it's, it's challenging for sure. 
So SpaceX this past Friday pulled what is being called a St. Patrick's Day doubleheader. And the reason why they call it that was because, number one, it was St. Patrick's Day. The doubleheader is because they had launched two orbital missions five hours apart. The first one launched uh, Starlink satellites uh, from Space Force Base in California. And then a few hours later, they had a Falcon 9 rocket liftoff from the Florida station. So you had five hours to uh, launch us into space. Both missions, I'm happy to report, went according to plan. And the good news is that both Falcon 9 first stage rockets came back down to Earth and landed on the drone ships less than nine minutes after liftoff. For SpaceX to achieve their goal of 100 launches this year, which is something that Elon Musk had put out uh, at the end of last year for 2023 goals, they literally have to launch a rocket every three days. So you can kind of see the uh, level at which they're operating. And so this is something that uh, we all keep an eye on. Very nice. Very nice. And did you have an extra story? I just had one that caught my eye on, on LinkedIn, and that was Flair Airlines in Canada. Um, and, and it actually it was about four of their aircraft being seized. It's a very strange story because they don't foresee any operational issues. And that sort of makes you wonder a bit because, I mean, their fleet size isn't very big. But I've been trying to follow up on it and, and I haven't really seen much more uh, developing on this. But um, it's always sad when you see the, the startup airlines struggling. You say struggling, but they also made an announcement to say it's not affecting their schedules. I know, but that's what yeah. I thought was so strange, right? Yeah. I mean, how can you have four aircraft seats <laughs> and it's not affecting your, your schedule? Sound you like know. us now and say there's a story behind the story here. Right? There sure. must be a story well, behind maybe, the story. Maybe they rented another aircraft from another airline. Last minute rental. <laughs> My extra story I forgot about last week. I wanted to talk about it last week, but it's a really good uh, feel-good story if you if you look at it like that. And that's about an employee. Her name's Becky Bell. She worked for Boeing for 36 years, and she played this mega Powerball jackpot lottery in the U.S. And at the time that she played it, the estimated jackpot was around $747 million, so 747. She just went and won it. Basically, she won it at 754. So by the time, you know, she won, the amounts were up. But um, I thought that was a fantastic story of somebody working at Boeing and Boeing just delivered its last 747 and she played the jackpot and she won. I like the story. You know, she worked for Boeing for 36 years, Rian, just as a supply chain analyst, right? Just, yes, a, just a regular right. employee coming to work every year. And she sees on the TV screen something about the lotto had reached 747. 47 yes. million and she sees it as a sign from the yes. Boeing gods uh, yes. to go out and play uh, the lotto so she did and then she wins again thank you to those in the audience for listening today and thank you Anne and Ash from my side that's it we will see you again next week thank you very much thank you everyone and especially thanks to Kyle of course and Jonathan um, thanks everyone for joining we host this LinkedIn audio call every Monday, and it is all about linking the travel industry. Please do share this event with everybody that you know. Chances are that if you enjoyed this session, others that you know will as well. For those who cannot make it because of time zone availability, this session is available as a podcast on Business Travel 360. This is Linking the Travel Industry, signing off. 